welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. I love how the Spirit of God works. This week we were going to talk about, we were going to continue on from our message last Sunday where we talked about placed, planted, and flourishing, and we were going to continue the message and talk a bit more about what that looks like when you're planted at the house of God and what it looks like when we say that you flourish when you're planted in the house of God. But that didn't, um, we got together on Thursday and we were going to talk about it, and we're like, no, it's just not going to work. And so Friday I began to look at my Bible, I'm like, well, Lord, what do you want to say? And so I began to pray and spend some time in his presence, and, and I was like, okay, I'm going to talk about, I was going to talk about Christ in crisis and about how many of us right now are in crises in our life, or crises, I guess, in our life, and in, in our bodies, and our minds, and our finances, and our emotions, and in politics, and the government, all different areas. A lot of us are dealing, I know a lot of us in the church, through conversations I've been having, a lot of us are dealing with different crises in our life. And I was going to talk about how God meets us in those crises and what it looks like. But I just, you know, when you, when you, when you're praying and you're trusting the Lord and you're asking God, what is it you want to say? Sometimes, you know, as you do, as you get ready to preach, all of you would understand this when you stand up and you're preaching a message. You, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you're getting ready to preach and, and you get a few thoughts, but something is just not sitting right. Like it's just like, nah, this just, this just isn't what I'm supposed to talk about. And so I began to pray. I was like, well, Lord, what is it that you want to talk about um, to your people? this Sunday? What is it you want to communicate to them? And right away, Jada, I'm going to kind of jump around out of order of our scriptures, okay? So I'm going to go right away. The Lord said that he wanted to talk about our hearts. And I was like, no, Lord, we can't talk about our hearts. <laughs> I was like, Jesus, did you forget that we just talked about our hearts like five weeks ago? And he's like, I want to talk about their hearts. I was like, Lord, we just talked about hearts. I don't know if you're aware of this. And he reminded me of... Um, a scripture in Hebrews that says faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. And he said, you know, first of all, Jake, he said some of those people that were there, that, that you, when you preached that message, whatever it was, five weeks ago or whatever, they weren't there. And you need to talk about their hearts. Second of all, I'll have a different thing that I want to communicate. And third of all, this is what I want you to talk about. You asked me what you wanted me to talk about, and so this is what I want to talk about. So why are you arguing with me about what the answer to the question? I want to talk to them about their hearts, and so please don't give me a hard time. Just do what I'm asking you to do, and let's talk about their hearts. And I said, well, since you put it that way, we'll talk about hearts. And I said, well, what is it you want to say exactly about their hearts? And right off the bat, he reminded me of Psalm chapter 51. And in verse um, 10... Psalm, this psalm is written by David, and it says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. Create in me a new heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. And listen, that word um, where it says clean heart, when it's talking about heart, that word heart is the Hebrew word um, lebab. And it means to be devoted to the Lord, to seek the Lord, be totally committed to the Lord, to communicate and to understand God's message. There it is right there. And he said, I want to talk to them about their hearts. And this is the place that he took me, created me a clean heart. Listen, this past year and a half has been hard on a lot of our hearts. 
There's been a lot of things that have tried to work their way into our hearts, a lot of emotions, a lot of hurts, a lot of pains. And I was talking to somebody last week, and we were talking about, um, um, it was a really great conversation. We were talking about how there was so much division in this last year and a half. And he said, you know what? It's not even that there's so much division. There's a lot of distraction as well. I was like, oh, that's a really good way to put it. There's been a lot of distractions. And so there's all these things that are trying to work their way deep down inside of our heart and to find a home and a root in there. And see, in this psalm, David is talking, and he's talking to the Lord, and he says, create a new heart, create a clean heart. And that word clean just means like pure and fresh, like brand new, like never spoiled, like nothing dirty in it, not soiled, clean. It literally means clean and pure and new. That's what he's talking about. He's like, God, create create this clean heart in me. And the heart that he wants is a heart after God to be devoted to the Lord and to seek the Lord and to be, I love this one, totally committed to the Lord and to communicate and understand God's message. Basically, he wants a heart that is truly seeking above everything else, the Lord. That's what the psalmist, that's what David is saying, create this heart in me. This is the kind of heart that I want to have. And so immediately after I thought of this, I thought of the next logical verse. You know, like I'm sure you've preached this message, Mike, so you know where I'm going. Like when we all get ready to preach, you'd have this next logical thought. And you have that verse in your mind that says that in 1 Samuel chapter 13. So let's put that up there, Jaden. 1 Samuel chapter 13. And we're going to jump around a bit today, but I'm going to trust that you can hang on and you can come along with me. And so he talked about creating a new and a clean heart. Create a clean heart in me. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, the prophet Samuel is speaking to the king Saul. And he says, but now your kingdom's got to end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. So I was thinking about Psalm 51, create a clean heart in me. And then my next thought that the Lord took me to was that God was looking for a man that was after his own heart. God desires us to be people that are after the heart of God, that desire to have God's heart, his heart beat, the pulse of his heart, to have his desires, to think about him, to, to move in such a way that our life and our thoughts and our patterns and our habits are all orchestrated by him, that we commit, like it said in the Hebrew, that word, that we commit ourselves to him, that we are seeking him, that that's what we want to be about. And so many of us have allowed us ourselves in this last year and a half to become polluted or defiled or dirty or sullied or, or allowed little parts of our heart to be broken off or to be closed off or to be hardened over. And for a few minutes here, I want to look at King Saul and I want to look at King David. And we're going to talk about these two kings for a minute. And we're going to talk about their hearts. And see, I, we're, we started with Psalm 51, and then we're going to end up back at Psalm 51 again. Sometimes I like to preach in a circle. Sometimes I like to start at the end and then work our way all the way back around. And then by the time we get to the end, you understand what I'm talking about. Sometimes I like to take you on a journey with me. So half the time you're sitting there saying, what is he talking about? And then we get to the very end, you say, oh my gosh, now I get it. It all makes sense. You see, in, Psalm, in Samuel here, and just hang on for a minute, and let me give you some context for what's taking place. 
The people of Israel, um, they had no king. In the book of Judges, they were ruled and reigned by judges and they began to fuss and they began to complain to Samuel and say, give us a king, give us somebody in charge of us, just like all the other nations around. We wanna look the same as everybody else. We wanna be ruled the same way. We wanna have a king who tells us where to go and what to do. We wanna have armies that are ruled by a king. We wanna look the same. And so Samuel goes and talks to the Lord and they decide, okay, fine, we'll give him a king. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 10, Samuel the prophet, the Lord tells him to go and anoint anoint Saul king. And he gives him some instructions. He says, this is what you're supposed to do. And um, go meet me on this mountain. And go your way and, and we'll meet back together on this mountain. This is in chapter 10. And so we go to chapter 11 and chapter 12 and some things transpire and take place. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 13, we find that Saul's son, Jonathan, has waged war against the Philistines. You guys all know the Philistines. David and Goliath, you know who I'm talking about. He's waged war against the Philistines, and the Philistines have all come together. And the Bible talks about, it says, that the Philistines had gathered together an army so great that they couldn't be numbered. It talks about how there was as many soldiers in the Philistine armies as there was grains of sand on the shore. And the children of Israel were terrified. And so Saul gets all of his guys together. They're all running and hiding. And the prophet Samuel had told Saul to wait for him for seven days. And so we're going to pick up here in 1 Samuel chapter 13, starting in verse number, um, I guess it's halfway through verse 7. It says, Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings, and Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. And just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel shows up, Saul went out to go meet him and welcome him, and Samuel said, what is it you've done? Saul replies, he said, I saw my guys, they were afraid, they were scattering for me. You didn't arrive when you said you would, and the Philistines are micmash, ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us, and I haven't even asked the Lord's help yet. So I, com- I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. So just for some context here, what's happened is the prophet of the Lord was supposed to come out and inquire of the Lord and to offer sacrifices. And Samuel had told Saul to meet me at this place on this day and we'll get together and we'll offer sacrifices to the Lord and then you can go and fight your battle. But Samuel, or Saul goes out, everybody's afraid, everybody's scared. His soldiers are running away. They're all the Bible. If you read that, it talks about how his men were running off and hiding in caves and behind rocks and trying to go everywhere they could to get away from, the, from the, the battle. And so Saul begins to feel pressure. And so what does Saul do? Saul takes a role in, his, in a position that isn't his and he goes out as a prophet and begins to sacrifice to the Lord. And Samuel shows up and he says, what have you done? This is not your job. This is not what you were supposed to do. You were supposed to wait for me. But because Samuel felt that pressure, because Samuel allowed fear into his heart and things that were not supposed to be in there, he allowed those things to take a home in his heart and he did what he was not supposed to do. And Samuel shows up and he says, you've made a big mistake. And then he says in verse 13, how foolish you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. He said, 
had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. So it's a big difference when you read that scripture and you put it all in context, the whole story. Lots of times we just quote that scripture, God's looking for a man after his own heart. God's looking for a man after his own heart. So then I began to think about David. We all know David. We all know the stories of David, don't we? And we think about David, and we think of, we think of probably two stories off the bat, don't we? We think of David and Goliath, and we think of David and Bathsheba. Am I alone with that? Do you guys think of other stories? That's pretty, much, that's pretty much where we go to right away. David and Goliath and David and Bathsheba. And if you're like me, then you begin to think of, okay, if the Bible talks about how David is a man after God's own heart, but we have David and Goliath, which is an amazing story of God working and working through David. And then we have David and Bathsheba. You're like, how is this guy a man after God's own heart? We're gonna look at this for a minute. Second Samuel we're going to start reading in chapter 13, but I want to give you a, a background on chapter 12 for a second. Is that okay? In 2 Samuel chapter 12, are you following along with me? Is this okay? I believe that God wants to do some work in our hearts today. I believe that God wants to show us some things about our heart. I believe there's things inside of our heart that we have allowed, maybe knowingly, maybe unknowingly, but God wants to work in our hearts and remove those things and pull those things out. Like David said in Psalm 51, create a clean heart in me. And, and if you think and you look at Saul and David, and like I just said, if you, if you say to yourself, have you ever said to yourself, like, how is David a man after God's own heart if we have the David and Bathsheba story? Okay, me and Kelly have had that thought. <laughs> but my thought is this. So we have Saul who disobeyed the Lord, and then God said, you're done. I found somebody else who's after my own heart. You disobeyed me, so I'm gonna put somebody else in. But then we have David who does what he does with Bathsheba, but then the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. So my question today for you is this. What's the difference between Saul's heart and David's heart? And what does your heart look like? And we're going to read through this, and I'm not looking for answers. You, nobody's got to jump up and shout out and be like, oh, this is what's in my heart. Here's the sin hiding in my heart this morning. Here's my thoughts that nobody knows about. I want you to think about this quietly. Because what is the difference between Saul's heart? Why did Saul lose his kingdom for disobeying the Lord? But David became who we know he is today. David did all these mighty exploits. David was in the lineage. Jesus was in the lineage of David. Why did, why did David maintain his position? And why was David a man after God's own heart? Well, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, here's the story. The Bible starts off in verse 1. I'm going to recap this. You can read along if you want. And if I get something wrong, you can holler out and be like, excuse me, sir, you missed a spot. Uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, 
Starting off, what happens is the Bible talks about, says, it's the springtime and all the kings go out to battle and all go out to fight. But David stayed back behind for some reason. He was slacking off on his duties. The Bible says that in the middle of the day, one day he got up from his afternoon nap. How nice would that be? Just to live a life of leisure where you had afternoon naps. The Bible says that David was snoozing it up, gets up onto his rooftop after he wakes up from his afternoon siesta and is strolling around. Oh, so tired. Such a long day today. It's been so much work. And he's walking around, and the Bible says that he sees a beautiful woman taking a bath on a rooftop. And instead of uh, saying, oh my gosh, I shouldn't look at this, David looks hard at it. And David says, I like what I see. And in fact, David says, go find that girl and bring her to me, to his servants. And the Bible says that she, they bring her to David and they sleep together. And then she goes home and sends a message. She pulls out her phone after she gets home. She's like, dear David, this is Bathsheba. I just wanted you to know that I'm pregnant. And then David replies with the emoji that's like the face with like the teeth, like, <laughs> you know? That's how he replies, like, oh, this is a real problem. I don't know, Ooh, this is bad news. So David probably sits around, probably takes a thinking nap, you know, a power nap one morning. He's like, I got to solve this problem. What I'm going to do is take a solid 20-minute nap and get ready, and then I'll get up and solve this problem. So he takes a nap, wakes up. Obviously, that's not in the Bible. That's my own paraphrase. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to send because, because everybody was out fighting the battles. Everybody was out fighting war. And so he says, I'm going to send for this girl's husband to come home and talk to me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to come home and have a conversation with him and check in on him and see how the battle's going. And then I'm going to let him go home and spend the night with his wife. And obviously when he's been gone for a long time, he's been fighting, he's been hanging out with a bunch of dudes, he's going to come home and be so happy to see his wife. They're going to have some special time. And then... Then Bathsheba can say that her husband got her pregnant, problem solved, right? Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, no more problem. So the Bible says this guy comes home, and um, his name was Uriah, and Uriah comes home, and, and he goes, and they say, like, the king wants to see you. And Uriah's like, the king wants to see me? He's like, yeah, the king's looking for you. So he comes home, and he goes into the presence of the king, and David's like, Uriah, Uriah, it's so good to see you. And Uriah's like, you talking to me? Like... It's just somebody else, like, do we know each other? And so they're talking. He's like, how's the battle going? And, and how are things looking? He's like, okay, mm -hmm, good, good, good. He's like, you know what? Great job, Uriah, great job. You know what? You've done so good. Why don't you go home and spend some time with your wife? Go enjoy yourself. And in fact, the Bible says that he sent him home with some special gifts. So that means he sent him home with a basket of wine and cheese and some candles, trying to, like, encourage him to go home and have some special time with his wife. He's like, just go, enjoy yourself. Go home. And so David thinks he's got this problem licked and he's got it solved. And so he wakes up in the morning, David, and realizes that Uriah has slept outside the city gate all night, that he never went home. David's like, oh my gosh, this guy is too much. And he goes and he talks to Uriah. He's like, Uriah, I hear that you didn't go home last night. And I don't know if you know this, but I've got a real problem. I really need you to go home and have sex with your wife is what I really need. I can't say that to you, but I'm really, and Uriah's like, how could I go home and hang out with my wife when all of my friends and when our whole nation is at war fighting these people? How could I go home and, and just have fun and not, not take care of my responsibilities? Like, I would never do that. 
David's like, you're right, you're awesome, Uriah. Hey, why don't you come to dinner with me tonight and we'll have dinner. And so David's next plan is to get Uriah drunk and then send him home to sleep with his wife. So Uriah comes in, they have dinner. David gets him drunk and still Uriah won't go home. David wakes up the next morning and he finds out Uriah has spent all night again outside the city gate because he's such an honorable person that he won't go home. So David's like, well, I've got no choice. So he writes a letter to the commander of the army, and he gives it to Uriah to take to the commander of the army. And the, and the letter says, dear Joab, you need to put Uriah at the front of the army where the battle is the fierce and the strongest. And then what I want you to do is pull away so Uriah is killed. Could you imagine having to carry your own death letter and not even knowing it? Hello, commander, I have a letter for you. The king gave me a letter to give to you. Here you go. And the guy opens up and reads, he's like, oh my gosh, this is terrible news. But I can't let Uriah know how bad this news is. And so the Bible says that he does what the king says, and he puts him in the battle, and Uriah is killed. And then the news is brought to the king, and King David says, finally, great news, fantastic. Uh, Bathsheba, the Bible says, spends her time mourning her dead husband. When the time of mourning is done, they come and they bring her, and she becomes one of King David's wives. Problem solved. But let's just pause for a second, and, and let's just compare uh, some notes. So Saul disobeyed the Lord and offered sacrifices that he wasn't supposed to. David was, number one, not in his place where he was supposed to be. The Bible says that right off the bat that the kings were off having wars, but David stayed home. So he wasn't where he was supposed to be. Then David went outside and was walking around lusting after a beautiful woman that he saw on the roof. Then David went and had that woman brought to him and had sex with her, which we call adultery. Then David tried to deceive Uriah into having sex with his wife so that David could get out of it. And then when that didn't work, David had Uriah killed. But yet the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. And my question is, why? Why was Saul disqualified from who God had called him to be? Because God set him in that position. Why was he disqualified? Yet David, who, you know, don't you love how believers um, have a sin checklist? And like, I mean, if, if we were using the human sin checklist, you would say David was a bad dude. David was not a man. David had sex outside of marriage with somebody else's wife. David had somebody murdered. That's a big one, guys. <laughs> and Saul just disobeyed. A lot of us are like, well, diso- disobedience? Like, I mean, is that a really big deal? Like, disobeying the Lord? Like, how big of a deal? It's a big deal. They're all, guys, just side note, Sin is sin. There's no great sin and there's no small sin. There's no white sins and there's no black sins. Sin is sin. What sin is, is literally separation from the Lord. So don't try and tell me it's not that big of a deal. It's just a small lie. It's just, I'm stealing. Listen, I I just take a little bottle of pop. Nobody cares if I take this bottle of pop from work, but you didn't pay for it. It doesn't matter. Nobody, I'm allowed. They know I take it. It's okay. Listen, sin is sin to the Lord. So David is called a man after God's own heart. Are you still with me? Why? Well, the answer is found in 2 Samuel chapter 13. Oh, I'm sorry, chapter 12. 
I was wrong. Chapter 11 is the story. Chapter 12 is where we're going to pick up here. So Bathsheba is living with David now. Then chapter 12, verse 1 says, The Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. I love this story. This is fantastic. God is so clever the way that he will work in your life sometimes. If you will stop and evaluate and listen to how the Lord will speak to you and bring things to you, he's so clever. So David just did all these nasty things to Uriah. And here we are in chapter 12, and it says, There were two men in a certain town. This is a story that Nathan the prophet is telling David. There's two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle, and the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought. And he raised that little lamb, and he grew up with his children, and it ate from the man's own plate and drank from his own cup, and he cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. And one day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for this guest. What a jerk. David, in verse 5, was furious, the Bible says. And he says, assuredly as the Lord lives, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. Listen, whoever does that, that person deserves to die because that's a bad person. This one guy had a tiny little lamb and he raised that lamb like it was his own child and he fed it from his hand and he snuggled that thing and it was his only lamb. And there was a rich dude over here that had tons and tons and tons of sheep and lambs and cows and ducks and goats and emus and camels and whatever else you can imagine. And instead of killing one of his thousands of things that he had, he went and took this one guy's precious little lamb and killed it and fed it to his friends. And David was so mad, but David wasn't putting the pieces together in this story. David thought, this is just a story that Nathan is telling me about what's happened inside of my nation. In verse 7, Nathan says to David, you're the man, David. Hello, I'm talking about you. It was you who did this. This is what we call a parable. This was you. And in verse 13, we see something very important. It says, David confessed to Nathan and he said, I have sinned against the Lord. See, um, I don't think we read this verse, but in 1 Samuel chapter 13, and I think it's verse 15, when Samuel says to Saul, you've just lost it. You've just lost your job. You've just lost your role. You've just lost your position. The Bible says that Saul had no response but to pack up and leave. He doesn't say he's sorry. He doesn't say I've made a mistake. He just packs up and heads out of town. And here we see, we see David who, who God brings a prophet to him and says, you've made a massive mistake. You've had this person killed. You've sinned. You've done wrong. And what is David's response? David's response is to cry out and say, I've made a mistake. I've sinned. There's things inside of my heart. And what happens is... (laughs) Siri, nobody's talking to you. (laughs) What happens is Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is where we started. And we often quote that scripture, creating me a clean heart. But the context of Psalm 51, it was David's response to what had happened with David and Bathsheba. It was David's response to sin in his heart and sin in his life. And so I want to read through Psalm 51 together with you this morning. 
And as we read this, as you read it, as you see it on the screen, you can close your eyes and listen. You can let the Spirit of God speak to you right now. You can read in your Bible. You can make notes. You can highlight. You can just listen. You can do none of the above or you can do all of them. But I want the Spirit of God to speak to you and show you things about your heart because God is wanting to talk to us about our hearts. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a loyal, or the New King James says, a right spirit within me. And he says this, this, this was David's response when Nathan showed up and said, told him this story. And he said, I've sinned, that's me, that's me. You're talking about me. I've sinned against the Lord. I'm so sorry. And here we see David's response. He says, have mercy on me, God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins and wash me clean from my guilt and purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Have you ever done something? Have you ever allowed something in your life that you did that you knew was wrong and it haunted you day and night? Side note, I know we're running out of time here. Side note, when I was like 13 years old, I had a, me and, me and, being Cam, um, I'm pointing at Steve, who I grew up with, and he knows who I'm talking about. Me and Cam one day were out hanging out by my house, and we were walking from my house. I used to live in Chilliwack by the Cottonwood Mall, and we walked to the mall one day, and we had to pass this creek. And um, as we passed this creek, there was this, this little turd of a kid there that was mouthing us off. I don't know why, but this kid started mouthing us off and yelling at us. It was really weird. And so um, he was way upstream, and he left. But he left his shoes on the shore of the, the creek. And so um, my buddy, Cam, took this guy's shoes and chucked him in the creek. And we're like, that'll show you. <laughs> You talk bad to us, we're going to throw your shoes in the creek. When you come home, no shoes, sucker! And so we, we threw that guy's shoes in the creek, and we left, and we went, went on our way, went to the mall. Guys, it seems silly, but for like days afterward, I was tore up on the inside about what I had done, what I was a part of. There was something like, I remember, like I was devastated. It seems silly. Yes, a pair of shoes that I chucked in the creek. I was devastated. I remember laying on the, on the carpet of our house on Blue Jay Avenue at the top of the stairs. I was laying there. And finally, my mom came up to me. She's like, what is your deal? Like, you have been moping around for days. And I was like, oh, I threw somebody's shoes. Who's in the creek? She's like, what? She's like, you need to talk to your dad about this. So I, t I talked to Grandpa and said, this is what happened. And Cam did it, and I was there. And I was devastated. It destroyed me. It ruined me. But this is what it's talking about. It haunted me night and day. It stuck with me that I had, I had sinned against my conscience. I had done something that I knew was wrong, and it was haunting me. Like David is saying here, David's talking about it's haunting him night and day, what he did with Bathsheba. It's haunting him night and day, how he treated Uriah, how he lied, how he cheated, how he tried to deceive him, and then ultimately had him killed. He said, it's haunting me night and day. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but your desire, honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. 
Then he says, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. You see, there's things that we allow in our hearts and our lives. The difference between Saul and David, the reason that David was called a man after God's own heart was because his heart was always to do right. His heart was to see God. It's not about being perfect. It's not about never sinning and never making mistakes because I don't know about you, but I'll speak for me. Guys, I make mistakes all the time. Yes, it's true. Johnny, it's true. I make mistakes a lot. Yes, a preacher, a pastor screws up and does things he shouldn't do. He says things he shouldn't say. He has thoughts he shouldn't have. I'm a human too. And it's not about not always being right or not doing the wrong thing. It's about having a heart after the Lord where you say, God, I've made a mistake again. I made a mistake. I'm so sorry. Change my heart. Cleanse me. Make my heart new again. Make it pure. Remove my sin. See, Saul, Saul didn't do that. Saul just packed up his bags, took his army, and hit the road. But David, David's response when his sin was called out was, forgive me. I'm sorry I made a mistake. Help me make this right. His response was Psalm 51. I want you to stand up with me. And here's what I want to do. I want to take just a moment together. And I want you to allow the Lord to speak to you about your heart, about your life, about the things going on inside of you that nobody else could know. The thoughts, the feelings, the emotions, the questions. God is okay with you bringing all of those things to him. But what he wants you to do is bring those to him and not just stop there and walk off, but say, God, this is, this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm dealing. This is what's in my, in my heart. God knows what's in your heart. It's not a surprise to him, the thoughts you think. It's not a surprise to him, the emotions you have or the feelings or the hurts or the wounds that you're dealing with. God knows your heart. What he's after is you coming to him and saying, this is my heart. Help me fix this. This is what I'm dealing with. Correct my heart. Make my heart new and fresh and clean again. You hear me pray all the time, God, do a work that only you can do. Because there's things in your life that only Jesus can do. No amount of counseling, no amount of medicine, no amount of all kinds of things sometimes won't work. What will work all the time is Jesus in your life. Jesus over everything. So I want to take just a moment together. And I want you to allow the Spirit of God to speak to you this morning about your heart. And I want you to ask him, God, am I more like Saul or am I more like David? That's a tough question to ask sometimes. Whose heart do I have? Do I have a heart like Saul? Where when you try and talk to me, I walk away and say, forget about it? Or do I have a heart like David? 
Where when you speak to me and you point out sins and you point out flaws and you point out weaknesses and you point out things in my life that shouldn't be there, do I say, God, fix these things? The point of all this is to be less like ourselves and more like him so that everywhere we go, people see Jesus shining through you and not ourselves. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that his spirit, his love, and his life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.